Hey, greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. Who doesn't know Uber? Today, I wanted to focus on a story of Uber, my Uber experience at a point in time. But before we get into it, it's amazing to see that Uber has become a synonym for rights on demand. So let's go back and look at their story quickly. 2010 was the very first ride someone took in an Uber cab back in San Francisco. And then over the years, all the way through 2019, it kept expanding and expanding throughout the world. And as a result of the expansion, obviously its valuation increased as well. Starting in 2010, all the way through 2018, it went from pretty much zero to about 68 billion in an estimated value, and then it started falling. It started falling to about 54-odd billion somewhere in 2018, and then finally it went IPO for an estimated 80-plus billion in valuation. Now, one of the things to note about Uber's journey is that along with the expansion, along with the expansion across the world and the increase in valuation, where more and more people started adopting to the concept of Uber on both ends, on the demand and supply end, either to become Uber drivers, to take people around, or to become Uber passengers, to have the convenience of getting a ride at the click of a button. One of the things that we can see is that competition and regulation have a way of catching up. With the expansion across the world, from continent to continent, regulation was chasing Uber all along. And then towards the end of its journey, I call it the end of its journey, is right before the IPO, it started losing its market share in a lot of places because of regulatory concerns, because regulation was catching up or competition was catching up and they had to get out of a few regions. And in order to make sure that the erstwhile investors made their money, it was important to go down the IPO route. The team wanted to have an IPO round at a valuation of about $120 billion, but ended up in the $80 billion plus. But the investors did make their money, at least the erstwhile investors, and most of the burden of the company shifted to retail investors. As we can see that 40 plus percent of the initial valuation post-IPO just started dropping. Now, that's the story of Uber in terms of its growth and its descent and descent in valuation. But more importantly, what I wanted to focus on was the expansion of Uber from one continent to the other, from one country to the other, and how the local dynamics play into whether the concept thrives or not in different markets. In order to talk about that, I wanted to share an experience that I had with Uber. You know, just like everybody else out there, I've been an avid user of Uber and I've found it very, very convenient over the years. I've actually used the service for a couple of years in the U.S. now and at points in time internationally as well. You know, request a cab over your phone, track it to your door, jump in, have a lively, sometimes very interesting discussion with your driver, 
during the commute, step out at your destination, thank your driver, and off you go. That pretty much sums up your Uber travel using the Uber app. No messy haggling, no having to deal with a card or cash after you get off. It's all taken care of behind the scenes with your pre-registered credit card. You give a star rating to your driver, they do the same for you as a passenger. And if you both maintain your average as well, about 4 out of 5, I believe you continue in business with Uber. Well, of the several times I have used Uber, it was perhaps once that I got a really shoddy car to pick me up and another time when the driver never showed on time and I had to cancel and re-engage. And that was in the initial days. After that, I've had several instances where drivers would take your ride and then they would give you a call to find out where you're going. And if the destination was pretty close to wherever you were to be picked up, they would cancel it out. And I have seen that part of it as well, which is sometimes frustrating. And I think I had one time when the app started acting weird by slowing down and showed the driver about four minutes away when he was actually at my door. Other than that, I think it was all pretty satisfactory. Well, several years ago, I made a trip to India and I got to experience Uber on the other side of the planet. I made a business trip and had to hail a cab service a couple of times. Well, here's a rundown of my experience and observations. While in the US, most of the drivers are regular people having a full-time job and work with Uber as a part-time engagement, and a few do it full-time too, most of the drivers in India are actually full-time drivers. That's all they do. They either drive someone else's car or they were initially taxi drivers. And they're generally professional drivers in some capacity or the other. And now they work with Uber. But the car belongs to someone else. Some of them actually end up buying a car and then are owners who are driving around as well. Most of them are either uneducated or undereducated. Uber apparently had about 40,000 odd drivers, I remember at that point of time, in just one city. Now, this competition to Uber, just like everywhere else in the world and in India too, there were a couple of homegrown app companies, such as I think Ola and Savari and a cab calling services company called Zcabs and Meru. Those are the names that come to mind now. And I did try. Ola, for instance, and that's a different story. But many a time, the drivers that work with Uber also work with these other companies. So they're always working with at least two to three competitors, just like the US, where you'll find a Lyft driver working with Uber as well. Well, they switch on two to three of these services and go with the one that provides them the first customer, first come, first serve. Uber and other cab services provide incentives to their drivers for the trips they make. That's what they used to do. For instance, a driver told me that for every trip he made, he gets a couple of hundred Indian rupees from the cab app service company on top of what the customer pays. So that's incentivization. And this varies by the different cab app services companies. And as a result, well, drivers would go with the one who is incentivizing the most. However, you know, Uber at a point in time had stopped these incentives for about a week or so and I ended up being in India during that week and guess what? Some of the drivers had gone on strike. I believe they were on the strike for about three to four days by then and they were forcing all the other Uber drivers to get off the service and join the strike. 
I was in a cab, an Uber cab, that was stopped by a group of these drivers on the road. They literally turned the app off. They took away the driver's phone. They took the keys. And they basically told him, you cannot drive. When I questioned my plight as a passenger midway, they let him drive me to the destination. They warned him to stop after that and asked me not to pay him any more. Well, I had to end up paying him in cash at the destination because they had turned the app off. There were some trips I took where the drivers did not place their phones on the dashboard. They just hid it. And in some cases, asked me to answer anyone stopping us by saying that we were in a garment vehicle and shouldn't be stopped. There was talk of how Uber was going to shed a few thousands of drivers as a result of the strike and not work anymore with uneducated drivers. Not sure what happened of that. But every time I hailed a cab, I had to be on a call with them for about 10 plus minutes to ensure they reached the right destination to pick me up. The address pin in a country like India, which is heavily populated, would not be accurate on the precise address level. I believe that's improved over time, but at that point in time, it would be somewhere in the surroundings of the actual location. And you had the option to pay by cash or card. And in some cities, you could avail Uber auto services, you know, the three-wheelers. The drivers were apparently handed free phones with data services when the service newly initiated, but now I believe they pay a weekly fee for that. Drivers had said that the cab app services are advertised as allowing you to make a certain amount of money per month, but they end up actually making about 50 to 60% of the advertised amount, provided they work about 10 to 12 hours a day. Still a very attractive paycheck for a lot of them and the freedom that they enjoy by controlling their own destiny. Well, one driver told me that cars in the city sold the most even that particular year due to these cab services. Car dealers were ready to make better loans with low down payments as long as the car was being used for the cab app service company. In some cases, they worked in tandem with these companies like Uber, where Uber and the dealers worked together to get these cars out on loan to drivers who wanted to drive. And a lot of private owners, as I said, also registered themselves and their cars with Uber, but then appointed drivers on the side so that they could drive on their behalf. And people made money that way. Well, it's pretty amusing and amazing to see how the service evolves from one end of the world to the other based on the local dynamics at work. And we can see that not just with cab services companies, we can see that with food delivery companies now where it's different. You know, it changes with the location in terms of how the service is being delivered, how the service is actually thought about. And in some cases, for a lot of these companies, it's a new idea that just births as a result of whatever they try to do in a new geography or a new economy. And that gives birth to a new pivot for the company to go after. For instance, Uber Eats is something like that that started with Uber as a cab service company. So it's pretty amazing to see one thing is here's a company that starts with a concept. Every company calls itself a tech company, but it's actually a services company that's enabled by technology. And then it grows. And as it grows, there's competition, there's regulation chasing it. And the smart ones would make sure that they exit through an IPO or however before regulation and competition catch up. But at the same time, the same concept 
when it's seen in different parts of the world with the local dynamics at play can take its own journey in a totally different direction than what it was thought out to be. And that's how pivoting happens. Just wanted to share this story from the standpoint of understanding startups and understanding growth journeys and the local dynamics at play in different markets as the expansion occurs. Hey, if you like what you hear, please make sure that you subscribe to Plan B Success Podcast and also share it with your family and friends so that they might benefit from this content as well. You can go to any of your favorite podcast listening platforms and subscribe to Plan B Success. Thank you very much. Thank you.